Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie, and I'm the reason y'all didn't get a new episode of A Word Fitly Spoken week before last. As some of you know, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we got a little visit from our cantankerous Aunt Ida last su- the last Sunday in August. Uh, God graciously protected my family from the hurricane. We didn't have any damage or flooding. We were only without power for about five days altogether, and, and I got my freezer defrosted, and my refrigerator cleaned out and scrubbed (laughs) down. So it was a very productive hurricane for me. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who is praying for us and encouraging us. Hallelujah. Yes. (laughs) And Amy, you had a big day too while all that was going on for me, didn't you? Oh, I did. I celebrated the one-year anniversary of my heart surgery last year and uh, just remembered all the wonderful prayers that uh, that you all have uh, lifted me up during that time and my recovery. Uh, for those of you who are new, I, I had a, a genetic uh, heart uh, defected that needed to be corrected, and it was. And uh, I feel so much better um, that uh, you know, very minimal scar, I mean, the scar is huge, but uh, but it's it's fading, and so that's good, and, and so is my memory of all of that recovery, but not the memories of uh, all the wonderful people who've prayed for me, and uh, a shout out to my uh, favorite nurse, Erica, over at Mayo Clinic, who uh, prayed with me as well, so <laughs> I know she's listening, So, and, and but it's really good, and, and you realize uh, just how the Lord heals and how much he's with you the entire time. Um, but that's not the only reason that I'm celebrating because we've had another anniversary recently, and uh, that's for all of us to celebrate. That is a word fitly spoken turned two years old. Can you believe it? On August 16th, and in a couple more weeks, we're going to have uh, our 100th episode that we're recording. So a uh, lot to celebrate. Yeah, it's hard to believe two whole years, 100 episodes, you know, we've, we've made it through hurricanes and heart <laughs> surgery and COVID and goodness knows what else. And, uh, and we're still here. So, uh, you know, it leads us to think about uh, the good times that we've had recording the podcast and all that. And Amy, I was just going to ask you, what's been your favorite episode so far that we've done? Oh, well, there are uh, uh, quite a few of them. Um, I'll tell you which ones our listeners like the best. Uh, Looking at the number of downloads, our top podcast for the past 24 months is... Discerning the False Teachers, Beth Moore. And that one was followed closely by uh, that episode we did on Joyce Meyer. So those two are our top. Um, Also popular are the Q&A episodes that we've done called Glad You Asked. Uh, That's where we answer listeners' questions. So we do those from time to time. Uh, But I guess, Michelle, I would have to say my favorite one was the one we recorded back in May of 2020. You know, um, COVID was just kind of shutting everything Mm -hmm. down at the time. And uh, that one was titled Walking Worthy with a Light Yoke. Yep. And it was a, a two-part series on the commands of Jesus. What does he ask of us? Well, in John fourteen fifteen, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what exactly did Jesus command? And we covered so much in those two episodes. He wasn't talking about uh, keeping the Old Testament law, nor was he telling us we need to have a workspace salvation to get into heaven, but as an act of 
obedience, love, and reverence for our Savior. And that is so comforting, which is why that episode or that two-episode podcast was one of my favorites. So, Michelle, which uh, episode has been your favorite so far? Well, I like those ones that you were just mentioning, and there were just a bunch of them that yeah. I enjoyed. I, I've really enjoyed these little mini series ones that we've done with, you know, two or three episodes on the same topic. I really enjoyed um, the one that we did on The Chosen, but I think I really enjoyed the most um, our modesty series. That was that was a yes. hot topic, and everybody was arguing about those mean old misogynists and the patriarchy <laughs> and how put upon us poor women are to have to dress modestly, like... God's commanding us to wear straight jackets or something, you know, and it was just so joyful and so freeing to look at what God's word says about modesty and how that's really value God valuing us and, and protecting us as women. And then it was fun to also give the practical tools that women can use as God is sanctifying the way that they dress. So I think that one was my favorite. That was a great series. I liked that one as well. Well, hopefully this episode we're recording tonight will be a new favorite for us and for our listeners because tonight we are talking about the tone police. You've heard that expression, right? There are people who may or may not agree with the content of what you're saying, um, but they just don't like the way or the tone in which you said it. So what they do is they jump all over you for your tone, either as a way to distract from the content of what you're saying or as a way to attack your credibility. Pretty sad. So in other words, nobody should listen to anything this lady has to say because she's a big old meanie. It's actually a very subtle form of an ad hominem attack, and that's when the person you're talking to doesn't have a reason to respond to what you've said, so she calls you names or attacks you personally instead. Yeah, you see this in the secular world, but evangelicals seem to have raised it to an art form because, you know, all the secular tone police can say is, you hurt my feelings or you hurt that guy's feelings. But evangelicals up the ante. It's not just, you hurt my feelings, you hurt that guy's feelings. Evangelicals can add, and that was unloving and unchristlike, and you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus would never talk to people that way. And just as a quick aside on that, when you use the name of Jesus as a baseball bat to beat up on your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when you're wrong about whatever it is that you're saying about him, you are violating the third commandment and taking God's name in vain. Jesus' name isn't a weapon that you use to get your way because you refuse to submit to what scripture actually says. Yeah, another thing I find interesting is that, at at least in my experience, you encounter the tone police more on social media, um, in blogs, in articles, in the comment section, and uh, other forms of written communication than with verbal communication. And I think that's because it's a lot harder to insinuate that someone's tone is off when you can hear her actual tone and see her facial expressions and body language. It's it's easier to you know judge that way. But when you're looking at words on a page you really have a lot more wiggle room to assume or imply that the writer might have evil motives. Yeah. Amy, have you ever had an encounter with the tone police over something you've written or even something you've said in a a conference or an interview or something like that? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like we just said, Michelle, it, it's, um, I always need to remember that my intention to come across as kind and loving and humble sometimes works better in audio and video uh, than it does in print. But what has really helped me is to um, pray before I speak or write. It's really a kind of a best practice. And you, you want to pray for humility and pray for anyone who's reading or listening that A, uh, who might be offended if I share this truth, and or B, perhaps doesn't know Christ at all and uh, doesn't have the spiritual ears and eyes to understand. But you know, sometimes, no matter how prayerful and careful you are, the person hearing or reading is going to get offended and blame you or, you know, the messenger. Um, And I really learned this 11 years ago when I began uh, working at a Christian radio station, and I was the co-host of a show called Stand Up for the Truth, and we'd cover all sorts of topics uh, that people at that time weren't talking about on the radio. This was a talk show, a discussion show. Uh, So we'd cover things like, you know, the purpose-driven movement or spiritual formation and the New Age practices in the church. You know, and some people loved it, and some people were very angry, but, you know, even though we weren't attacking anyone, they would accuse us of all sorts of hatefulness. Um, a few years later, I teamed up with the gang at uh, Pirate Christian Radio and worked pretty closely with Chris Roseborough. We still do from time to time. Um, if you're familiar with Chris, he compares sermons. He'll play them, audio recordings um, given by popular teachers, and he, he compares those. He'll stop the sermon and he'll open up scripture, and and you know you can kind of compare uh, what the person is saying to God's breathed out word. And many people think that he has a tone, um, even though I can tell you for sure he is one of the kindest people you'd ever meet. But he used to say to me, you know, before we'd record uh, some of our pirate gang conversations, he'd say, come on, Amy, it's time to put on your soft kitten voice. So so we joke around about that. But even with a soft kitten voice, people would still say that, you know, if you're delivering the truth, you're a hater or you're contentious or you're a dreaded discernment diva or my favorite, you have a Jezebel spirit. You know, that (laughs) no such thing, obviously. But I've really, you know, Michelle, I've learned over the years that it's not personal when they say that because they don't know me. So when it happens, I I like to pause and consider, you know, whether I really am being snarky. And if so, I I would need to own that and apologize. But if I'm not, and most of the time I promise that's not my intention, um, then I need to just shake it off and move on uh, without getting into arguments with your accusers. I think I've found that to be just the best thing. So if, saying all that, Michelle, how about you? I, I mean, have you ever had the tone police you know, come after you for something that you've said or that you've uh, posted online? Oh, no, everybody loves me. Nobody <laughs> ever comes after me. <laughs> no, they, they come after me all the time. And um, But like, like you said, it's very important to be sure that your heart is right and that right. you're not just being snarky for the sake of being snarky or because you're being fleshly or whatever. And I'll admit, you know, there have been times when I have failed in that area and I have sinned in that area. And I'm, I'm sure that we all have. Uh, but there are also times when you're just being as nice and as gentle, just like you said, with your soft kitten voice as you can be. (laughs) And, uh, it really doesn't matter how gently you say something. Um, 
people still get offended about it. I, yeah. I recently had an exchange with, with someone, which was pretty much a textbook case of, of the tone police, you know, taking me to task. I had posted something on Instagram about Joyce Meyer. And one of my followers said just very sweetly and humbly, she's a very nice lady. She uh, said something to the effect that Joyce had really ministered to her sister. And also, I believe that her sister had gotten saved while she was following Joyce Meyer. Now, you know, I know you probably have had this thought too, Amy. I just don't feel like I can let something like that stand unchallenged on one of my platforms because I don't want the person who's saying it to have the unbiblical belief that a false teacher can have redeeming qualities. And I also don't want someone else to come along and read what she said and go, oh, well, Joyce Meyer must not be all that bad. She's helping people and people are getting saved under her preaching and whatever. So I just don't feel like I can let that kind of thing go unaddressed. I have a responsibility before God to steward my platforms in a biblical way and to counter unbiblical ideas like that with biblical truth. So I I just brief. Yeah. So we have to be careful about that. So I just briefly and gently said to this lady, you know, Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. She has never ministered to anyone in a biblical way. And if your sister truly came to know Christ, and I do hope that she did, it was in spite of Joyce, not because of her. And what happened was another lady, not the lady I was making this comment to, but another lady, the the tone police lady that I'm talking about, chimed in and said, sister, you need to check your heart. I thoroughly enjoy your platform, but that statement was uncalled Mm -hmm. for. And so I responded, it's uncalled for to gently and biblically correct a sister's unbiblical beliefs about a false teacher so she can grow in understanding of Christ and his word. You're, you're actually rebuking me and saying I was wrong for attempting to teach her biblical truth to which she replied. And this is the classic evangelical tone police response. It's not what you said. It's the delivery method. You have a very ungracious manner sometimes in the way you text things. I just strongly want to encourage you to take before the Lord the way you communicate. You're not wrong in what you're saying. It's the how of it. And then our exchange went on from there. And and let me just say, I'm not picking on this particular lady because compared to a lot of other tone police officers, she was fairly calm and respectful and, and nice about the things that she had to say. And we did leave things on a friendly note. So I really appreciated that about her. That's good. That's really good, Michelle. And isn't it interesting that um, so many folks who do take issue with our tone will do so in response using a tone that's much worse than the tone that they think we're using. So you and I have yeah. um, both been verbally attacked, called names, our salvation has been questioned, uh, both of us and so on, yeah. all because our tone supposedly wasn't loving or kind or gentle enough. Um, I would say that's called hypocrisy, and that's exactly the kind of thing Jesus was addressing in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Uh, So why don't we read that? It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Notice how Jesus calls hypocrisy the log, and the issue you're addressing with your brother or sister is a speck. I I mean, that just tells us that in that moment, your hypocrisy is bigger than whatever your brother or sister is or isn't doing, and you need to focus on repenting of your hypocrisy first. That's right. And another aspect of the hypocrisy is that they will say they agree with the content of what you're saying, just not the tone. But if you keep talking to them about it, or if you go check out their social media timeline and the kinds of things they typically post and retweet and whatnot, usually it eventually becomes apparent that they actually didn't agree with the content of what you said, or that something besides the tone was the real underlying issue. And another way we can tell that the issue is usually the content of what you're saying is that their objections to tone always seem to be raised when you're talking about an unpopular topic or when you're saying something that they don't want to hear. Like you don't hear the tone police saying, watch your tone or you need to check your heart when you're saying that. God will provide for his people or that husbands should be faithful to their wives. And I'd be willing to bet that virtually none of the tone police would object to anything I said about people who kick puppies, no matter what I said or how I said it. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, it's, It's only when you're dealing with an unpopular or controversial topic that this tone objection even comes up. False teachers, modesty, women preaching, homosexuality, COVID, abortion, um, publicly calling out an evangelical celebrity's sin and calling her to repentance, things like that. In most cases, it's a diversionary tactic, a defense mechanism, so that they don't have to deal with the hard biblical truths that the Holy Spirit is convicting them about. And it's become so ingrained in the evangelical culture that most of these tone police officers don't even realize that that's what they're doing or that's why they're doing it. They feel that conviction and without even realizing it, they misinterpret that conviction as offense over your tone and shift the blame to you instead of taking the time to examine their own hearts and ask themselves, what's really bothering me about this? I I think, Michelle, that most of them are convinced in their own minds and hearts that uh, they have the moral and biblical high ground and the problem is really with you. And they'll tell you things like, you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit or you're not being loving. But how do you even biblically quantify something like that? In other words, how can you tell whether you're really being unbiblical or whether it's just that this person is personally offended? Right. Tone is subjective. And the Bible doesn't give us, you know, like a standard unit of measurement for it. What sounds like an unloving tone to you could sound like a perfectly gentle and loving tone to someone else. I think I've mentioned before that I wrote an article about a certain false teacher a while back, and I got responses from some professing Christians who said my tone was hateful and harsh, and other professing Christians who said I went too easy on her. And these people all read the exact same article. So, you know, that just shows us how subjective tone can be. And furthermore, tone is going to vary from culture to culture, even among Christians. When people tell me that my tone is unchristlike, I like to take them to a passage it seems like we've been referring to a lot lately on A Word Fitly Spoken, Matthew 23. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Matthew 23, I'd encourage you to hit pause and go look it up and read it. It should only take a minute or two. Matthew 23 um, is the chapter where Jesus is absolutely ripping the Pharisees up one side and down the other. Brood of vipers this and whitewashed tombs that and woe to you hypocrites all over the place, you know. And so as a teaching tool, I like to drive the tone police over to Matthew 23 in their own squad car and say, is Jesus being unloving here? Is Jesus failing to display the fruit of the Spirit here? Now, no professing Christian in her right mind is going to answer yes to those questions because we all know that Jesus was the perfect embodiment of love and all the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. So here's Jesus using a very harsh tone and harsh words, yet we know he was still perfectly loving. And yet my words and my tone don't even come close to the harshness that Jesus used. And yet you're calling me unloving. It's a really good way to get the tone police to stop and think for a minute. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. And some of them will try to wiggle around the point you're trying to make with Matthew 23 by saying, well, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and you're not. Or, well, Jesus knew their hearts and you don't know the heart of the person you're talking to. But that's just, I think, another diversionary tactic that, like we said before, many of them probably don't even realize they're using. Because who you're talking to and whether or not you know that person's heart are irrelevant to whether or not the tone you're using is intrinsically loving or not. Uh, you can use a loving or unloving tone with anyone, whether you know her heart or not. Think about it like this. If this town police officer saw those woe to yous and the rest of Matthew 23 on a piece of paper and she didn't know who said it or to whom he said it or why, she only saw the words and the tone, she would almost certainly say, hey, you're being unloving. You need to check your heart, you know. So once you start bringing things into the argument like uh, who you're talking to and why you're talking to her that way, you're no longer dealing strictly with tone, are you? You're also dealing with content. And that's what we're talking about uh, right now and earlier. The tone police will often say that it's not your content, it's your tone. But objections like who you're talking to and why demonstrate that their objection is actually to your content. So tone is independent of audience and circumstances. Exactly. Now, let's tackle one more aspect of this whole evangelical tone police issue. This issue of a so-called quote-unquote unloving yeah. tone, or sometimes they'll say, you're not speaking the truth in love. Well, I've got a challenge for you listeners. Hit pause and read through your Bible really quickly and find the Bible's description of what a quote-unquote loving tone is, or the measuring scale for what is a loving tone and what's not a loving tone. Like, how loud are we allowed to be? Which words are we and aren't we allowed to use? How many tablespoons of snark are allowed before you're violating the Bible's def definition of a loving tone? Go ahead. I'll wait. Yeah, you didn't hit pause and read through your whole Bible, did you? Well, you should read through your whole Bible, but I'm, I'm going to give you the answer you probably already know. 
you're not going to find anything telling you what a loving tone is. Biblical love, as we just saw in Matthew 23, is not measured by subjective things like tone. Biblical love is a posture of your heart. It's an internal spiritual quality, not an external, tangible, objectively measurable behavior. It is wanting what is best, most biblical, and most Christ-like for others. That's why Jesus could talk to the Pharisees the way he did and still be the perfect embodiment of love. The posture of his heart in that moment was one of love. Love for the Pharisees, love for the God they were sinning against, love for God's people that they had enslaved to legalism, and love for God's law that they were corrupting. And that love is what led him to use the tone he used. You see, because actual biblical love is not the same thing as the superficial, subjective, so-called loving tone that we hear so much about. The example I always give is this. If your toddler runs out into the street and you see a Mack truck bearing down on her, you can say, now, honey, do you remember what mommy said about running out into the street? That's right. Mommy said it's dangerous. I don't want you to run out into the street because you could get hit by a truck like that one that's three inches from you and then you would die and I would be so sad. Or you can say, get out of the street right now and run over there and yank her out of the truck's path, dislocating her shoulder in the process. Yes. <laughs> now, you know, which one of those would fit the popular definition of a loving tone? The first one, right? But which one is actual biblical love? Well, it's the second one, because in the first scenario, your child is dead before you can get all those words out of your mouth. Plus, if you're speaking softly and sweetly, she probably can't even hear you. So sometimes real biblical love can manifest itself in what sounds like an unloving tone, because what you're saying is urgent and the rebellious sinner you're saying it to can't hear a soft, sweet tone. Yep. Am I saying you should always run around screaming at people and dislocating their shoulders? Of course not. I'm just saying that it's, I'm just saying that's not always and by definition unloving as the tone police might have us believe. That is so true, Michelle. Um, and, and a lot of Christian women seem to have the mistaken idea that, uh, quote unquote, speaking the truth in love equates to being nice. We should always be smiling and sweet and never say anything that might hurt someone's feelings or could rock the boat. But again, look at Jesus. He was always perfect in love, but when he wasn't out calming a storm or walking on water, he was usually rocking the boat, wasn't he? So, But what does the Bible actually say about speaking the truth in love? And we can find that admonition in Ephesians 4. And if you go to verses 11 through 13, it says that God gave us apostles, teachers, and so on to equip us toward Christian unity and maturity so that, as it says in uh, verses 14 and 15, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then 15 says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ. So when people use the phrase, speak the truth in love, they're usually using it to rebuke others for speaking what they would call an unloving tone. But as we can see from this passage, the Bible's main emphasis here is not on some uh, superficial definition of love, and tone isn't even mentioned. Uh, The Bible is emphasizing speaking biblical truth rather than false doctrine in order for God's people to grow up and be mature in Him. That's right, Amy. This passage isn't saying, you know, that we have to wrap 14 pillows around everything we say so that nobody's feelings will ever get hurt. It's saying it is loving, true Christ-like love to speak biblical truth to our brothers and sisters in order to help them grow and mature in Christ. It's our love for others that compels us to speak biblical truth to them. That's what this passage is saying. And ironically, Amy, that's what you and I are often right in the middle of doing when the tone police start writing us tickets for (laughs) allegedly not speaking the truth in love. And speaking of growing up, that's the last point I'd like to address. Up until now, we've been talking about tone itself and what the speaker or writer's responsibility is in all of this. But it's time to turn the tables because if you're a tone police officer, you bear at least as much of the responsibility as the person speaking or writing that you're taking issue with. Mm -hmm. I am not going to, as I said, wrap what I'm about to say in 14 pillows so your feelings don't get hurt. A, that would defeat the whole purpose of this episode. And B, I just honestly, I am sick of having to qualify to death everything I say. I'm just going to say this. Okay, brace yourselves. Get ready. Here we go. I'm braced. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of you who are professing Christians and who find your sensibilities getting offended at other people's tones all the time need to grow up. That is the truth of Ephesians 4. And I'm saying this because I love you. Grow up. You're still a little girl instead of a mature, godly woman because you've made an idol of your feelings. You're narcissistically too sensitive. Toughen up, buttercup. You're not going to keel over and die because somebody has used a tone you didn't like. Ask yourself this. If Jesus were as sensitive as I am, would he have made it through the mocking, the scourging, and the crucifixion with the godly strength and dignity he modeled for us? Grow up. Now, I know that some of you listening to me say that are already offended, and I'm sorry, but if you are, you're proving my point. And I know that because I didn't caveat to death what I just said, that a lot of you are pulling out every exception and objection in the book right now. Well, you're just saying that everybody can go around talking ugly to me and I just have to suck it up. Or you don't understand. I've been through this, that, or the other trauma. So I have a right to be sensitive. Or you're saying that everybody who gets her feelings hurt isn't a mature Christian. I did not say any of those things. Go back and listen carefully or read the transcript of exactly what I said. If the shoe fits, wear it. If not, don't. That's part of this whole tone police thing, isogeting whatever your trigger issue is into whatever has been said. That's also an area in which a lot of professing Christians need to grow up. It's time for 
all of us to grow up, and I'm including myself in that. It's time to stop taking our little dollies and stomping home from the playground in a huff every time somebody speaks or writes strenuously. It's time to stop crying about our hurt feelings, put on our big girl panties, and be women discerning women, Berean women, women of God's word, women who can handle having our feathers ruffled and come out on the other side stronger for it. Because there are things out there that are much more important than our feelings and biblical truth is one of them. Amen, sister. Thanks for saying all of that, Michelle. Um, And that is, of course, the most important thing. So that is going to bring this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken to a close. And we want to thank all of our listeners who've supported us with your kind words of encouragement, your prayers, and your financial gifts. If you would like to support us financially through PayPal or Patreon, head on over to a wordfitlyspoken.life and check on the support tab. And while you're there, Uh, be sure to subscribe to A Word Fitly Spoken on your favorite podcast platform. We've got a ton of them, and they're all on our homepage. And if you enjoy the show and have a a moment, uh, you can leave us a five-star review. We'd love that. And uh, perhaps an encouraging comment like this listener did. She says, quote, I adore these women and the effort they put into each episode. I discovered a word fitly spoken earlier this year when my pastor's wife shared it with me. I've listened to every episode and just love every single one. In the modern age where biblical womanhood is looked down upon, I found so much encouragement in the words these women share as they uh, point women to Christ and encourage them to embrace the role God has created them to be in. Ranging from modesty to false teachers. I always look forward to joining in and listening to their episodes. Thank you for sharing truth faithfully. I love that comment. Thanks so much for that encouragement. Great way to end this program. And Michelle and I take great joy in serving you all and all of our listeners. So until next time, let true biblical love motivate you to speak the truth and walk worthy.